My name is Bryce Hales, and uh, we're going to spend the next few minutes looking at God's Word as we um, prepare to launch community groups. And um, community groups are not, uh, we're launching a program of community groups. But I really believe that we're entering into uh, a new chapter as a church. I think the, it's been about 18 months since we launched as a church. And in many ways, that first chapter has been about worship and, and gathering together to worship as, as, a, uh, as a church. And as we take this next step, I think we're, we're kind of turning the page to chapter two. And I believe this next uh, chapter that God's calling us into in this next season is about community and learning how to care for one another and to really be the family of God. And um, so we are going to be launching community groups and we're going to spend um, the next, uh, I don't know, chunk of time on Sunday mornings now through Advent looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you, would you uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians? And if you didn't bring a Bible, there is one a blue Bible on the ground near you, and you can find Ephesians uh, 1 on page 976. And uh, I would invite you to join me and stand as we read Ephesians 1. We'll read the first 14 verses together. Let's hear God's word together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might also be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, would you help us to see um, in Paul's words... Paul is excited about something. And in this, in this flurry of excitement, he, he spits out this, this, um, this passage, which is just one sentence in Greek. And God, as we, as we hear it read this morning, it may just sound like religious words to us. But by your spirit, would you help us to see a little bit of what Paul is so excited about? 
Would you help us to see all that you are doing in Jesus? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was watching the first Harry Potter movie with my kids. Uh, I think uh, most people, Harry Potter has kind of caught the imagination of our of our culture, and most of us are familiar with the story of Harry Potter. Uh, he's this this kid who is being raised by his aunt and uncle, the Dursleys, and they are horrible, horrible people, right? And they spoil their son Dudley while uh, making Harry Potter live in the closet under the stairs, and um, and then everything changes for Harry one day when he receives an invitation to attend Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. My kids love the story of Harry Potter, and a couple weeks ago we were watching the movie adaptation, the first one, and I'm watching the story that I've read the books and I've seen the movie you know, a few times, and all of a sudden it just struck me what was actually, what, what is being said about Harry Potter in the beginning of this movie. And I'm sitting there watching, and my, tear, my eyes are just welling up with tears. My kids are looking at me going, Dad, what's wrong? And I'm saying, I just realized how beautiful this story is. In a new way, it struck me that Harry po- what's happening in Harry Potter is what I think Paul is communicating to us in Ephesians 1. What we see in Harry Potter is that Harry's entire life changes when he learns that he has a family. His whole life changes when he learns that he has a family. Think about this question. What happens, uh, what, change, you know, what changes about Harry when, he, when Hagrid the giant shows up and tells him, no, your parents, James and Lily Potter, they didn't die in a car crash. No, your parents died in this epic battle, this epic struggle over good and evil. And you're famous and you are wealthy and um, there is a world that you don't know exists yet, and yet you've had these premonitions, these hints that it's real all along. What happens in Harry uh, is that he finds out that he has a family. And in one sense, so what changes about Harry? In one sense, nothing changes about him. He's still the same 11-year-old boy, right? He's still got that scar on his forehead. He doesn't, you know, he's the same kid he always was. He says to Hagrid, he's like, I'm just Harry. But in another sense, everything about him changes. His status changes because he has discovered that he has a family. There's a, there's a bank account that's filled with gold that has his name on it. There are people who have been whispering his name, right? Uh, this realization that he has a family begins to make sense of these powers that he kind of knew he had but never really understood. When he learns he has a family, every single thing about his life changes. And that is the message of the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, um, at the time, was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. This busy, bustling metropolis, urban area. And um, we might think, you know, Ephesus uh, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, What could a place like Ephesus have to do with me living in Orange County? In 2017, well, I'll tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus, uh, the dominant kind of um, feature of the city of Ephesus was the temple to Diana or Artemis, um, and, and uh, Artemis is the god of uh, sex or the god of love. And uh, the Ephesians believed that this that this rock had fallen from heaven and it was in the temple, 
and uh, it was this highly sexualized culture. Uh, very sensual culture. It was a port city. And because of the trade, it was a very wealthy place. It was a very materialistic place. Uh, there was actually um, stones. Apparently, if you go to Ephesus today, there's a pathway leading from the port to the brothels in Ephesus. Very sexually charged culture. Uh, it was also a very proud culture. Um, in Acts, I think it's in Acts 19 or 20, it talks about the Apostle Paul going into Ephesus and, um, t- and for the first time telling people there about Jesus. And uh, there was this industry of silversmiths that built idols uh, to help you know, aid in the worship of the, of the pagan gods in Ephesus. And, uh, and the silversmiths begin to realize that if people start to put their trust in Jesus, that they are going to be out of a job. And so these silversmiths, they rush into this, uh, this auditorium and they pull Paul in there and they start this riot and for two hours they begin to chant. They, they keep chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They were proud of who they were. They, uh, they were wealthy. They were powerful. And Paul spent three years there telling, uh, planting this church and telling the Ephesians about Jesus. And now several years have passed and Paul has left and he's in prison. We think he's probably in Rome when he writes this letter. And he writes this letter to the Ephesian church, to the Christians in Ephesus to encourage them. Uh, They've grown and yet they're still, you know, numerically the church has grown and yet they're still dwarfed by the surrounding culture. Uh, This culture that is in many ways tolerant of everything that there is under the sun Except Jesus. A culture that is tolerant of everything, a culture that is materialistic, a culture that is uh, highly sexualized, incredibly um, proud of itself. What would Paul say to them? And what might Paul say to us in a different time, but I think a very similar place? Well, Paul writes to the church and he wants to tell them. He says it's a mystery, he says it's a secret. And yet in, uh, in Ephesians 2 or 3, right in the middle of the book, he makes it clear, the central theme, I think, of the book of Ephesians is this. He says, you were once strangers and aliens, but you have become now citizens, and God has made you his own household. Do you see what he's saying? He said, you were once strangers, you were aliens, you knew nothing about God, and now he has made you his family. I just think that's such a beautiful sentence right there for Resurrection OC. I mean, think about this. Look around the room. Like, two years ago, we were strangers. And God has now made us a family. And just like Hagrid showing up um, and telling Harry Potter, everything in your life is about to change, Paul is telling us, everything in your life will change because you have a family. Paul says it's a blessing. The first thing he starts off, he's working this theme of the family of God all the way through the book. And he starts off by talking about uh, the being in the family of God is a blessing. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but the word blessing to me is just like this spiritual word. Like, what does that even mean? Um, The family of God, like yawn. Um, But Paul is lit up. About this, verses three through verse fourteen in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in is one sentence, no punctuation, no pauses, and um, two hundred and two words I think in the Greek. And it's like, I mean, have you ever talked to a kid who just got back from Chuck E. Cheese 
And what did you do? And then we got pizza, and then we got more games, and then we got ice cream, and then we got prizes, and then it just gets bigger and bigger. And it's like Paul starts talking, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's more excited. He's getting worked up, worked up, worked up. He's just spewing out. That's a terrible word, but, you know, it's just coming out. He can't restrain himself. He is so excited. What in the world is Paul so excited about? What is the blessing of being in the family of God. Well, I mean, just on the surface, I mean, think about what, the, what that means, that, that we are a family. Uh, we live in a time where the idea of community is huge, and yet we very seldom experience it. I, um, I um, you know, people talk about CrossFit, like it's uh, one of the things people talk about CrossFit. It's this great family. Like, I, I've stopped doing CrossFit. I, um, I've, I've been a member of, like, four CrossFit gyms, uh, in my time, I don't know, that's not that funny, right? Yeah, look at that guy, he was crossfit, it's ridiculous. Um, people t- I, I would show these gyms and people are like, oh, the fam, the community at CrossFit. I don't know, maybe it's because I've been a Christian for um, most of my adult life. I've never experienced anything in a gym that remotely compares to the family of God. Um, you know, how do you get into the family? Uh, you didn't choose your family, you're just in your family. Um, how do you get out of your family? Well, you can't get out of your family either, right? Um, you are, we are stuck together. We are in this together whether we like it or not. God has given us to each other. Uh, what is the blessing of the family? Well, if you catch a glimpse of what Paul is saying about the family of God in this passage, I think you'll start to get excited about it too. And Paul is talking about, he, there, he says it's a blessing. And in this kind of verbal vomit almost in his excitement he says five things about the blessing yeah five okay so strap in we're going to move at breakneck speed um let's look at the five things paul wants you to know about this blessing of being in the family of god and the first is this he says you are chosen in verses three and four he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places, listen to this, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then in, in verse 5, he even goes so far to say this, he says, in love, he, God, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this, he's saying, you are utterly secure because God has chosen you. How did you get into your human family? I mean, did you uh, interview all the potential candidates interview every potential family, all the sit them down, choose the best parent. No, of course not. You're in your family because you just one day were born and then that's your family, right? Or maybe you were adopted in your family. Somebody chose you. You didn't get into your human family because of your choice or your behavior. And so it is with the family of God. Paul is saying God knew you. Uh, He knew you before. He's not saying before you were born that he knew you. He says, before the foundation of the world, God loved you. You were loved before you could ever love. You were known before before you knew anything. Before there were mountains, before there were oceans, before there was earth, before there was sky, God knew you. God loved you. He chose you. Um, I will never forget that dreadful moment that my wife told me that she was pregnant with our oldest son. (laughs) Uh, We had just gotten a new dog, and she woke up early to walk the dog, and she said, hey, I'm pregnant. And then she went to walk the dog, and I lay there in bed panicking. 
And uh, I think partially I was panicking because I knew that my life was about to change forever. But more than that, what I knew in that moment was before I ever met this kid, I was all in for him. Um, the moment I knew I was going to be a dad, I loved him. Before I knew he was going to be a he, I loved him. Before I, knew, before I knew what he looked like or I'd ever heard his cry or his voice, before I knew what he would like to do or how good he would be at anything, I loved him. I was all in for him. I remember as Ashley, um, as the pregnancy progressed and as her belly began to grow, I used to, she would lie down, I would put my ear on her belly and I would listen to his heartbeat. And you could hear this whoosh, 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 you know, and then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Just listening to my boy's heartbeat, thinking, I love this kid. I've never seen him. I don't even know what his name's going to be yet, but I love him. And God is saying, before you were ever born, before there was ever anything, I knew you and I loved you. I loved you before you were born. I'm all in for you. And I would suggest that you will be a fundamentally insecure person unless you know that God loves you, that he has chosen you. Uh, Most Americans, when they are interviewed, say that their favorite verse in the Bible is, God helps those who, what, help themselves, right? Interesting fact about that Bible verse. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. Uh, Ben Franklin said that. Um, Ben Franklin was a, he was fanatically not a Christian. Um, We think that God wants us to be nice and that God wants us to do our best. And we hope, I guess, we have this vague, like, I'm a good person, so surely I've been nice, but yeah, God will accept me, right? Right? Um, you know, are you being nice enough? I mean, are you, what if you're nice to the wrong, like other people you shouldn't be nice to? What if you're nice to them, right? Or, I mean, God, okay, God wants me to do my best. Have you, like, can you honestly say, yeah, I do my best? Like, really? That's, I'm not even doing my best at the moment, right? I mean, like, the Bible says that you get into God's family because of God's grace alone. Because God has chosen you. You didn't live up to it. You didn't choose it. Uh, You haven't been good enough or nice enough or tried hard enough. You're in the family of God because he chose you. And any other, if you are not secure in that relationship, you will not be secure in any other relationship. God loves you with a never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. Why? Just because he does. (laughs) Just because he loves you. That's who he is. He chose you. Okay, secondly, Paul says you've been adopted. In verse 5, he says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He has adopted you as a son. Now, some of you might hear that and be like, Well, that stinks because I'm not a man. Um, But what Paul is saying here is is actually very radical. Uh, In the Roman Empire, there was very um, kind of... uh, clear expectation or understanding of what adoption was. And adoption was not typically a, a, a child, an infant that was adopted. Adoption was something that would typically happen to a man uh, later in life. Um, in the Roman Empire, property could not transfer to a daughter. And so if there was a upper class man, a wealthy man, a man of status, and he didn't have a male heir, as he's getting along later in life, he might adopt 
a, a you know a middle-aged man, maybe a servant that, of his who he really cared for. And when that happened, um, that servant would then inherit everything that belonged, um, you know, to the to the father, um, the wealth, the status, the possessions, the influence would all transfer to the adopted son. Property couldn't be transferred to a daughter. Uh, just to be clear, that's not what the Bible is saying. That was the, that was the tradition in the Roman Empire. And so the Bible is, is actually turning things upside down, being very inclusive and you know, uh, you know, very groundbreaking at the time by saying to both male and female followers of Christ that you are a son, that you have been adopted as a son of God. Uh, Paul is saying here and elsewhere that, the, that God is placing his love on both male and female followers of, of Christ in a way that is far more radically inclusive than the Roman Empire had ever known. So Paul says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means that God treats you exactly the way that he treats his own son. Because you have been adopted by God, he looks at you just the same way he looks at Jesus. I heard a story um, about a new mom, and uh, she was, uh, the baby had just been born, and she and her husband were there in the hospital, and they've got, they both have blonde hair, and the little baby's got dark hair. And her mom, the grandmother, comes to visit in the hospital, and they're fawning over the new baby, and they're looking at him, he's so cute. And, and the, the new mom looks at grandma, her mom, and says, Mom, where did he get this dark hair from? And her mom says, well, from your, from your father, of course. And the new mom says, Mom, I'm adopted. And her mother responded by saying the most beautiful thing. She said, I always forget. <laughs> I always forget that you're adopted. I treat you just like you're my own son, my own daughter. God has adopted you into his family and he treats you as his own child just like Jesus. If you've been adopted, then you are his. Okay, chosen and adopted. Thirdly, Paul says you have been redeemed. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption. What does it mean to redeem something? Uh, Well, it means to buy it back. Uh, think about this. Think about your, uh, your, maybe you're struggling for cash, and so you go down to a pawn shop, and you uh, leave your wedding ring there. You take something that is precious off your hand, and you leave it with the, the pawnbroker. Uh, that person gives you some money, and it's there. And you know that you've got maybe, I don't know, two weeks where you can do something with that money, hopefully make more money, go back, and you can redeem your wedding band. You can buy it back. That's what redemption means. The question that that Paul is answering here is this. How can you really know that God loves you? How can you really know that God loves you? Well, you know that God loves you because he's paid so much for you. Um, How do you know that he won't change his mind on you? How do you know that he won't get tired of you? He won't decide, yeah, I know I said these things, but I, I, I changed my mind. Look at the price that he's paid for you. You are, you are, he's far too invested in you to turn his back on you now. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The Bible says this, New Testament says this over and over. When we were lost in our sin, when everything had gone wrong, when we had screwed up in our ignorance, when we weren't looking for God at all, Jesus died for us. 
On the cross, Jesus hangs and exchanges places with us. He takes our sin, our brokenness, our shame upon himself. And he gives us instead his perfect record of righteousness, his perfect life. With his own blood, he bought us back from sin and from death. God will never turn his back on you. He's in that too deep. He's not going to change his mind. He's spent too much to let you go. You've been redeemed. But fourthly, Paul says you have an inheritance. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Because you're in the family of God, what happens to children when the, you know, they, they receive an inheritance, right? You receive an inheritance from God. So what does that inheritance look like? Well, in verses uh, 13 and 14, what Paul says is that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So what is he saying? He's saying that there is something that is an inheritance that God has promised to you that you don't yet have full possession of, and yet he's given Holy Spirit to, uh, as the guarantee, as the promise that he will fulfill this inheritance. Uh, imagine this. Imagine that um, you have a wealthy grandparent. You have a wealthy grandparent who has named you as uh, the heir to their estate. And you know that whatever your current financial status is, when your grandparent passes away, you will be utterly changed. You will be utterly free from debt. Um, Your entire life will change, and what you have now to show for it is a copy of the will. You have a copy of the will that guarantees that you are the rightful heir. The promise of the gospel is this, that if you are in Christ, You will never get to the end of your life and look back with regret. You will never get to the end of your life and say, gosh, I should have taken one more vacation. I should have, um, you know, we should have spent more money on the bigger house. You will never look back on your life with regret on the things that you missed out on because you are a Christian. Because you have an inheritance. In Romans 8, Paul says, God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not therefore also give us, will he, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is your inheritance? It's all things. I was thinking about this the other day. Have you ever like been on vacation somewhere? And, um, or you, you go into a place and I, I always, my wife and I always do this. We, we go into a place and we, we just immediately start talking about, well, if I lived here, this is what I would do. And there's something in that that sort of feels kind of twisted. Like, why is it that if I, I, like, I somehow think I own, I have possession of this place that I'm just visiting. And I know that if I lived here, I would have this house or I would live in that part or whatever. Why do, why do we have this in, almost inherent sense that like, I have possession of this thing that I don't have possession of? Well, what does Paul say in here? He's saying that in Christ, God's intention is to give his children all things. I don't fully know or understand what that means. But I bet it's not going to feel like we got the short end of the stick. You don't have to live with the fear of missing out because you have an inheritance in Christ. We don't have to be tight-fisted with our time, with our money, with our relationships, with anything that God has given because he has promised us all things. Finally, fifth, Paul kind of wraps it all up uh, in this fifth 
aspect of the blessing of the family of God by saying that if you are in the family of God, that you are united with Christ. You are united with Christ. Being in the family of God, the blessing of being in the family of God means that you are united to your older brother, Jesus. And everything that belongs to him belongs to you. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of you if you are in him. There are 10 uh, or more times in just these, what, 11 verses where Paul uses the phrase, in him or in Christ. Uh, This is Paul's favorite way of talking about what it's like to live as a Christian. In verse 4 he says, even as God shows us in him, In verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What he's saying is this, in his life, in his death, his resurrection, Jesus has exchanged places with us. Jesus, as I just spoke about a minute ago, on the cross, he takes our life, he takes our sin, he takes our, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. He takes that upon himself and he dies. Well, what does Jesus give us in return? He gives us his perfection. He gives us his life. What does that mean? It means that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you and all of your, you know, your checkered past. He sees the perfect record of Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you because you are in him. At the beginning of the summer in June, we, uh, our family was on vacation in Colorado. We, uh, Dick and Nancy Strezza have this like, lodge that they let us stay in. and It was great. We had this great week as a family exploring western Colorado. And um, one of my boys is like deathly afraid of heights. And at one point, we're driving in our minivan up this dirt road, and it's, it's a steep road. And you know, down this side, it's like a one-lane road. Down this side, it's a sheer cliff. And we're driving up, and he is freaking out. Everybody else is just having a good time. He is literally, he's freaking out. We get to the top, and we turn around, and we start coming back down the hill. And my youngest son, he goes, oh, good. Now I'm not on the deaf side anymore. The deaf side, right? I'm not on the deaf side. And my wife and I kind of look at each other with this knowing glance, like, like, don't say this. Let's not ruin the trip down. But like, whatever happens to the car happens to all of us, right? If you're in the car, it doesn't really matter which side of the car you're on. If you're on the deaf side, <laughs> you're gonna die. But if you're on the life side of the car and the car goes over, you're gonna die, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not on the deaf side anymore. Well, Paul is telling us the good news is this, is that if you are in Christ, you are no longer on the deaf side. If you are in him, then you are on the life side because Jesus has taken the death and given you the life. Whatever happens to Jesus happens to you, and Jesus has been raised from death to life. And if you are in him, then you are no longer on the deaf side. So let me ask you, are you living like you have a family? Everything changed for Harry Potter when he discovered who he was. Now let me be clear what I mean by that because don't, when we live in this culture, we think, I just need to discover who I am. Harry Potter did not discover who he was by looking inside and discovering that deep down, you know, I'm a good person actually. Everything changed when he realized who he was because he had a family. What about you? Are you living like 
you have the blessing of being a part of the family of God. Um, I know that I don't often live like that's what's true of me. Uh, earlier this week, um, I was talking with some people about what is, what is God doing in your life? What has God been teaching you? I said, what God's been teaching me is something profoundly simple, which is this, that God is going to be faithful. That God is going to be faithful. And I know that that sounds so uh, simple as almost to be trite. And yet I feel like what God has been teaching me, showing me, is that I have been living like I'm like, I don't know, six weeks or six days from like the wheels coming off and we're going over the cliff and, and uh, everything's going to, it's just going to be a disaster. Church is going to fold and I'm going to be out of everything and what are we going to do? And um, Like it's not here, I'm not really worried about it, it's like six weeks away, Okay. But I was talking with some friends and I realized, you know, I've been living like that for 10 years now and it's never happened. And maybe the God who has been faithful in the past is going to continue to be faithful in the future. I live like an orphan. You know, what does an orphan think every morning? Um, An orphan wakes up every morning thinking, I wonder if I'm going to eat today. What does a son think when he wakes up? He doesn't think about it. He says, Mom, what's for breakfast, right? My past is a story of abundance. God has been abundantly faithful. And yet when I look to the future, I look at it with this scarcity mentality, like I'm about to run out. And living as a Christian in Orange County means reminding myself and for us together to begin reminding each other that you have a family, that you've been chosen, you're adopted, you have an inheritance, You have been redeemed. You are in Christ. That's the blessing. It means that we are a family. Part of being a family means that, I said in the beginning, we're in this together. Uh, We have siblings that we, you know, I guess you can get away from them for a time, but the blessing of the family is that if you run away, somebody's going to come and find you. If you're struggling, somebody's going to be there. If you're hurting, somebody's going to encourage you. So let me just finish by saying two things really, really practically about um, what it would look like to live like this is actually true this week. Two things. One um, is simply to remind yourself two words. In him. I am in Christ. You know, think about your week coming up this week. Maybe you look at your calendar and you know that on Tuesday morning you have to go meet with your boss. Or you have to meet with somebody that reports to you and it's not going to be a fun conversation. Um, I go into these conversations with this scarcity mentality, this I've got to get what I, because nobody's looking out for me. Remind yourself, you are in him. Maybe set an alarm in your phone every morning. You can title in your iPhone. Give the name, give, give your alarm a name. Just put in him. Your alarm will go off, remind you, I'm in him. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to, I don't have to give in to temptation. He has given me all things. Okay, that's the first thing. We have to remind ourselves who we are. But the second thing is this. Part of being a family means that sometimes I don't have the strength to remind myself that I'm in Christ. And I need my family to remind me. 
So the second real practical thing this week, I w- I'm not gonna like, there's not like, gonna be a test or something. <laughs> look at somebody in this room, maybe your spouse, maybe your friend, and just say, look, we're in this together. And at some point, I'm gonna reach out to this person this week, and I'm gonna remind you that you are in him too. We are a family. We are in this together. What would it look like to start living like this is actually a blessing? This is what God is doing in the world. He has taken strangers and he has brought us into a family. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has given us an inheritance. He has redeemed us because we are in Christ. Will you pray with me? God, would you help the truth of this passage to sink down into our hearts, into our bones, into our souls. Help us to know um, with the excitement that Paul has here that you are doing uh, an incredible thing in the world. It's a mystery that has been hidden for ages but has been now made known in Jesus. You have made us your family. Would you help us to know that? Would you help us to live like it's true? In Jesus' name, amen.